0: Visit WonderfulPistachios.com to learn more. That's WonderfulPistachios.com. This is Optimal Health Daily, episode 1912. Is Copper the Bad Boy in Alzheimer's Disease? By Dr. Jenny Brockus of Dr. And I'm Dr. Neil, your very own personal narrator. Happy Monday, and welcome back to another week of Optimal Health Daily. This is where I read to you from some of the best health and fitness blogs on the web, kind of like an ongoing audiobook and always with a bit of my commentary at the end. I'm gonna keep this intro nice and short, so let's get right to today's post as we optimize your life. Is copper the bad boy in Alzheimer's disease? By Dr. Jenny Brockus of drjennybrockus.com Humans have been using copper for thousands of years, including fashioning it for jewelry items and for conduits to carry water as pipes, jugs, and cookware. It's also an essential trace mineral found in all human tissue. My mom swears by her copper bracelet in helping her to overcome some of the pain associated with her arthritis. There is something rather pleasing about the warm, slightly pinky color of copper that turns green with age. We need copper too. In the human body, it works with iron to form red blood cells and is essential for healthy blood vessels, bones, and our immune system. It's found naturally occurring in many foods, including red meat like kidneys and liver, shellfish such as oysters, whole grains, nuts, dark leafy vegetables, prunes, cocoa, black pepper, and yeast. Too much copper can be toxic. One condition called Wilson's disease, which is very rare, is an inherited disorder where excess copper is deposited in the liver, brain, and other organs and can cause liver, brain, and other problems too little copper is linked to anemia and osteoporosis. A new study has recently been published in the journal Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences, which indicates that copper may be a significant environmental factor involved in triggering the onset and enhancing the progression of Alzheimer's disease by preventing and accelerating the accumulation of toxic proteins in the brain. If this is the case, then further study is needed to determine how much copper is too much and what can be done to detect excess levels and manage it appropriately. This study's findings at first glance appear to contradict findings published by researchers at Keele University in the UK earlier this year. They reported that copper at levels commonly found in the brain probably protects against the formation of these amyloid plaques. Their suggestion was that it might be lower levels of copper in the brain that promote the damage. In an age where the number of people being diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease is increasing rapidly, there is a great deal of interest in trying to find out more about what causes the condition and what can be done to help treat it more effectively. I think it's really important not to jump to any conclusions prematurely as a result of this study. The media have already latched onto it and proclaiming headlines suggested that copper is the culprit here. Let's all get rid of the copper, which of course is nonsense. When a purported link between aluminum and Alzheimer's disease was made a number of years ago, thousands of people threw out their aluminum saucepans and stopped using aluminum-based antiperspirant deodorants. It took many years and many more studies to undo that link, which was ultimately deemed to be wrong. One study does not prove anything. The results need to be examined and replicated and investigated further before any conclusion can be more rigorously drawn. But let's look at what this study found. The study was performed on mice and revealed how copper can accumulate in the brain, causing the blood-brain barrier, that sophisticated barrier that restricts what can or cannot pass across into the brain, to break down. This then allows a toxic buildup of beta-amyloid to accumulate. Beta-amyloid is a normal byproduct of cellular activity. But in Alzheimer's disease, excessive amounts of this are found as amyloid plaques. The body normally gets rid of excess beta amyloid using a protein found in the capillaries supplying the brain called LRP1 or lipoprotein receptor-related protein by binding to the amyloid and escorting it, a bit like the bouncer at a nightclub, out of the brain and into the bloodstream. Dosing the mice with copper at levels that would be similar to one-tenth of what we as humans would normally consume in our water according to current water quality standards resulted in the copper interfering with LRP1 function by an oxidative process. The paper also reported showing the same effect in human brain cells. In other words, the normal amyloid clearance system was impaired. Moreover, in those mice with Alzheimer's disease, the blood-brain barrier was seen to be impaired by a combination of aging and accumulation of what they called toxic assaults, allowing excess copper to pass into the brain. Here, the copper was observed to stimulate the production of beta amyloid. And, in addition, adding insult to injury caused the excess amyloid to bind together in clumps, making it harder for the brain to clear it. What remains unclear to me is why the lower amounts of copper appear to cause the damage, not higher amounts. Now, this study's findings do appear important, but they do, however, require clarification as to what this means to us. And the implications that will need to be addressed in the future. You just listened to the post titled, "Is Copper the Bad Boy in Alzheimer's Disease?" by Dr. Jenny Brockis of Dr. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform Dr. Neil here for my commentary. Dr. Brockus mentioned how this idea of copper and Alzheimer's disease was discovered. They studied the effects of copper on mice. Now, studies using animals can be really helpful, not necessarily to make conclusions about how humans might respond to a similar study, but instead to argue for the need for human studies. In fact, when we think about the quality of research studies, animal studies are ranked pretty low on the list. What that means is, we really shouldn't be making conclusions about how humans might respond based on animal studies, like studies performed in mice. This is for a couple of reasons. First is probably the most obvious. Although we share some of the same DNA as other mammals, like mice, we still aren't mice. As humans, our bodies are built differently and respond differently. Also, studies performed with animals are performed in very controlled settings. And usually, the animals are given very low doses or very high doses of something, and in very specific amounts. But that's not how we as humans consume nutrients or are exposed to chemicals in our environment. So whenever you read a headline and you see that the study was performed in animals, we should think to ourselves, hmm, that's interesting, but let's see if the same thing happens in humans. All right, that'll do it for the Monday episode. I hope you have a great start to your week, and I'll be back here tomorrow as usual, where your optimal life awaits.